Despite what you may have seen on the internet, cola can't help clear a blocked esophagus, according to research published in the BMJ Christmas issue. 51 patients participated in the study, which tested the myth by giving sips of cola to patients in the emergency room awaiting an endoscopy. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. Chair Bernie Sanders announced the Senate Health Committee will meet Thursday to address the diabetes epidemic. Sanders said he'll discuss the cost of diabetes drugs like Ozempic, which have seen a surge in demand for non-diabetic weight loss. He also said he'll blame the food and beverage industry for driving the crisis. The largest medical device lobby, AdvaMed, is establishing a new medical imaging technology division. Patrick Hope, former executive director of the Medical Imaging and Technology Alliance, will lead the division. The move comes as interest in artificial intelligence booms in the sector, and imaging technology often leans on AI. And the mining industry's cycles of growth and decline have had unintended consequences on healthcare access in rural communities. Politico healthcare reporter Megan Messerly joins me to explain how good health plans can actually make it harder for some to get the care that they need. Hey, Megan, thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. So you interviewed more than 90 people for the story, and there was one family, the Pavelics, that you said was emblematic of the problems facing mining communities. What's their story? Yeah, so I talked to this couple, Mike and Patty Pavelic, and their story is that Mike Pavelic was a gold miner. So they live in Elko, Nevada, which is in northeastern Nevada, and they always had really great health benefits through his job at the mine. Patty is a retired school bus driver, but Mike got sick. He has this rare condition called cervical dystonia that just causes these violent tremors. And so he wasn't able to work anymore. And so for their whole life, they never had any problems with healthcare access. The mine actually runs this clinic for mine workers and their employees to go so they can get pretty easy, affordable care. And so they never had any issues until Mike got sick and wasn't able to work any longer. They weren't able to go to that clinic anymore. They struggled to find primary care providers. And essentially why they're story is emblematic of sort of what I was writing about in this story is these mine workers can have such good benefits, which again, are an amazing benefit to workers, to their families. You know, mine employees are often working these very dangerous jobs. So it's a fantastic resource for them to have as employees, but it creates these strange dynamics in the community when, you know, a lot of the rest of the community has Medicaid and Medicare plans that providers, you know, really don't want to take as much. So it kind of creates these splits in access to healthcare. So the situation I looked at in Elko is there's sort of of splits and access depending on whether you work for the mine or whether you don't. You know, there's a lot of stories of retirees, folks who used to work for the mine, you know, went on Medicare and then struggled to get a primary care provider just because there aren't enough in town that are willing to take Medicare. And the same is true for Medicaid. You know, another town that I looked at in the story is Williamson, West Virginia. And there, what I looked at is that these mining benefits were so good that the hospital became so dependent on them. In fact, its parent company sort of used those benefits to help grow this whole hospital chain across the southeastern U.S. But as soon as coal started to decline in that community, those good mining benefits went away and the hospital really struggled and then ultimately closed in 2020. That's really what I was looking at in this project is sort of how these mine benefits are, you know, so good for their workers, but sort of have these unintentional ripple effects, especially in these small rural communities. Are mines aware of these problems and is there anything that they're doing about it? 
I would say that generally speaking, I mean, mines try to be pretty involved in their communities. Oftentimes they'll make donations or, you know, things like that to help support the community, you know, and sort of also ensure that they have community buy-in for their continued mining. But I will say sort of in talking to folks about this, like a lot of people, when I walked them through the problem, they were kind of like, huh, yeah, that makes sense. Like I get that, but those ripple effects are really complicated. You know, I didn't come across any mines that had like a cohesive comprehensive policy on sort of what to do about their community's healthcare. You know, again, sort of despite the fact that mines tend to be sort of these stewards of their community. But I will say I reached out to the mining associations in Nevada and Montana. And the one in Nevada told me, you know, sort of they're aware of the ripple effects that can have on the community. And then the one in Montana, you know, was telling me that this is why they like to have mining executives, you know, serve on local boards so that they can be aware of any problems in the community and sort of be part of the solution to address it. But it's a really complicated issue for anyone to address. Have there been any policy prescriptions that have helped the situation? Yeah, so I'm talking to folks. There's certainly things that have helped. I mean, people universally say Medicaid expansion has significantly helped. I mean, if not for that, a lot of these communities would be in worse shape than they are. Critical access hospital designations, federally qualified health centers, as I mentioned, those have all been helpful in a lot of cases. But the folks I talked to told me that in some communities, it just has not been enough to be able to keep the healthcare system running. And it's important to note that not every facility is going to qualify for those kinds of designations. So for instance, the, the hospital that I looked at in Williamson, Williamson Memorial Hospital. They're actually too close to another hospital in Kentucky to be able to qualify for the extra funding they would receive as a critical access hospital. So the the sort of takeaway from folks is that these solutions have been helpful, but they haven't always been enough in these communities. So the Biden administration is making this big push to source more resources like copper and cobalt domestically. You know, what might the impact of that be going forward? This is one of the concerns is that there's sort of been these lessons of mining towns past and present. You know, what does this mean for future mining towns? And the one that I visited is White Sulphur Springs in Montana, and they have this copper mine that's coming in. And so it's interesting to see this new wave of mining towns. They're going to grapple with these same problems that towns like Williamson and towns like Elko have grappled with, but they're being sort of cognizant about these sort of strange ripple effects and unintended consequences that, you know, can happen with their healthcare. And I will say in White Sulphur Springs, I mean, they're doing this community-wide, not just with their healthcare, but with their schools and housing and infrastructure. But they're trying to be a little bit more forward-looking about, okay, we know what happens to a boom town with their healthcare, their housing, with their schools. Times can be really, really good for a while. One of the things I was talking to the hospital there about is, you know, an infusion of commercial insurance is going to be a huge boon to the hospital. But they're already thinking through, like, how do we not become so dependent on this insurance that if and when the mine closes, however many years down the road, they won't be left in a really tough spot. And so this is what communities that are going to be hosting these new mines are are going to have to grapple with is sort of taking the lessons of the past, seeing the, again, the unintended consequences that can happen and then trying to, you know, prepare in advance to mitigate them. So you don't have a situation where you have split healthcare access like you do in Elko, where you don't have a hospital that becomes so dependent on commercial plans that it can't survive without them like they did in Williamson. Well, thanks so much for coming and talking about your great reporting, Megan. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese and Alex Keeney are our senior producers. Kara Tabor is an editor for Pulse Check. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. That's Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.